Am I going to ring here? Amen. Amen. I have a story for you guys. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how in the world to fit this in because it has so many great applications to it and, and I, I just I couldn't figure it out. It has applications to marriage. It has applications to our personal walk with Christ. It has applications to friendships. It has applications to trust. And so I just figure out, just tell the story and you guys can figure it out. <laughs> I don't know, and, and some of you were part of this story, so you're going to understand what I'm about to say. But for those of you who don't know, I have an affinity with snakes. And it's a good thing. I mean, what I mean by that is they intrigue me. I like them. Um, if you notice this morning, I'm wearing snakeskin boots. I, I wear snakeskin boots a lot. If, uh, if, if I had an office, I, I have my, my hope chest for my office, right? In that hope chest is, is a, a 13-foot python skin that will hang above my desk. That way nobody will visit me in my office. <laughs> so I have, a, I have an affinity for snakes. I enjoy them. So, so Alexa and I are out, and I can't remember if we were cleaning the garage or I was doing something. Or no, you, no, she was gone. I was doing something in the garage, and I'm, I'm looking down, and all of a sudden this little cute garter snake just, just comes out of the garage. And I, I think it was a garter snake. It looked like actually a mini boa, but, but, uh, but still the markings, it, it was a garter snake, I'm sure. Um, uh, but it, it was cold out, so it wasn't moving very fast. So I went and I picked it up and I thought, oh, cool, Yvonne will love this. She's, oh, we, we, we don't have a dog. We haven't had a dog now for a year or whatever it's been. And, and we keep promising her a pet. And so she, because we don't bring her pets, she brings stuff in. You know, she's had pet slugs. She's had pet turtles. She's had, you know, pet worms, whatever. She'll go out and catch a cricket and that's her pet for the day. Okay, and I thought, wow, she's never had a snake. So I'm going to get this snake for her. She will love it. And so, so I go in and I, hey, honey, look at, look at what I get to show up on. And, of course, Alex didn't quite have the same reaction that I did. You know, she's like, well, not in my house. I said, well, let's at least let Yvonne look at it, right? And so, so we get this bowl and we put it in there. And I was positive it couldn't get out, right? <laughs> okay, well, It did. We, we showed it to Yvonne. She loved it. Oh, played with it, whatever. Took so many videos of this thing. And, and so we went to sleep at night. We, we put, you know, saran wrap over the top and poked holes in it. Okay, only to realize this thing could crawl through the holes or make its own hole. So we get up in the morning. Actually, they got up before me, and I just heard, hear this. It's gone! <laughs> And Yvonne, who, who is my, my little uh, red signaler, she comes up and says, Mommy is so mad. She said, Mommy is mad. The snake got out, and it is nowhere to be found. And I'm, I'm thinking, stink. Okay. I, I, I just didn't even have any clue it could get out of there. So, anyways... I go downstairs, and of course I can't find it. I, I'm thinking in my mind, there is no way you're going to ever find this thing. You know, what's it going to do? It, it, it was on the counter. It's going to get off the counter. It's going to go to the place that it, it sees heat, right? That's, that's what they see. They see heat. Heat ready. So it's going to find a vent. It's going to crawl into the vent. We will never see it again. We'll, we'll find, we'll find the, these little skeleton bones one day when I have to fix the heater that it got in there and had no food source because I, I knew it wouldn't have a food source. It's tiny. It was a, it was a little 12-foot, or I mean 12-inch thing. Yeah, 12-foot would have been a little... That would have been a little different. Okay, first of all, that would have been a record garter snake and we would have been wealthy. Okay, but anyway. So, so, so... I'm thinking, uh, there's no way we will find this thing. It is gone. It's in the walls. It's, it's history. It's in our heaters somewhere. And that didn't go over so well. Um, but there was really nothing I could do, right? 
And oftentimes when we get ourselves in situations where we really can't do anything about it, you just take the beating. So from my whole family, except Yvonne. I, I think Yvonne was scared, but she was more intrigued than anything. But it, it, it was just this, this feeling of we've got to go to sleep in this house where there's this snake moving around and we don't know where it is, right? Okay. Well, this isn't the funniest part of the story. So, so you know, Alexa's thinking, you know, it, it, this thing is going to somehow zero in on her and come all the way upstairs, crawl in bed, and wrap around her foot. You know, and, and that's what you think of. You, you, when, when we think of things we fear, we think of how it will go after us, right? So the, the next, you know, we, we went to sleep. We all survived. We were all okay. We get up the next morning, and, and we're, you know, going about. Alex goes, and she, she had an appointment or something. I'm, I'm up and doing some things in the kitchen, and, and I'm looking around. And all of a sudden, he came out. He came out to see me. He just came out from behind. I think he must have been behind the TV or something on our counter. And he was there the whole time. So it probably no more than three feet from where he got out in the first place. And I thought, oh, praise God. This is awesome. Now, now, so I took him, put him back in the, the, a different cage this time. Okay? One that was literally taller than his body. Okay? Because I did not want him to get out again. But, but I also didn't want to let him go in the cold because he'd die. I know most of you, whatever, who cares? I didn't want, I didn't want him to die. That's why I picked him up in the first place. It was, it was getting to be nighttime. I picked him up, and, and it was cold outside. That's, that's why I caught him in the first place, because he, he could barely move. So, so I thought, okay, we'll hold him again one more, one more uh, night, you know, and then I'll let him go during the heat of the day tomorrow uh, so he could find a place to, to grow and hibernate. So... We had a, what we call a gifts meeting the next morning, and we had a bunch of people over, and, and we're having the meeting, and, uh, and so like tells this story. And I had the bright idea of going to go get him to show everybody. And, and uh, Yvonne, I don't know if you know, she, she wanted this little snake to have playmates, so she, she took all of her little lizards and, and little fake snake or whatever, and she put it in there with him so he wouldn't be lonely. Okay, so after the gifts meeting, some of the, some of the young people wanted to see the snake, and, and I said, he's right there. Go look at him. And they, they pull it out, and they just start laughing. What are, what are you talking about? Is this a joke? It's a fake snake. And they pull out this big rubber thing, and I go, no, no, he's in there. And I go to look, and he's gone again. <laughs> he's gone again. And I thought, wow, I did that twice. <laughs> That's really bad. I don't even know how he got out. I honestly, it's. It, I, can snakes jump? I don't think so. No. But he got out somehow, and he was gone. And so I thought, okay, <laughs> okay, Lord, I know I prayed this just last night to find him again. I said, but just give me one more chance. I promise you, this one, I'll get. This time, I'll get rid of him. So I'm looking around, looking around while everybody's still there and stuff. And I, I found him. He was, he was, it was interesting because he had gotten up wrapped behind this plate, this decorative Santa plate or whatever it was, Christmas plate. And, and so, but, but we got him. And so everybody's looking at him. And finally I get to the funniest part of this story. Okay, the funniest part of this story. Everybody's wanting to see him and touch him. And, and so Brian's grabbing. This thing had no teeth. Okay, it's really nothing to be afraid of, but nobody wanted to touch him except Brian. Brian grabbed him. Of course, Brian grabbed him behind the neck, so so he couldn't bite him with his gums, apparently. Okay, and he's holding him there, and here, Yvonne, do you want to touch him? And then Yvonne's touching him, and Brooke, do you want to touch him? And so, so Brooke goes, and she's, she's just touching him, touching him, and all of a sudden the back of his, his body wraps around her, her hand, and she just starting to freak out. Hold on to him. Hold on to him. And she's backing up, backing away. Hold on to him. Tell him, Brian, hold on, hold on. And he's backing up, and he's like this. And, and all of a sudden, he couldn't hold on anymore. He lets go. And Brooke's like, Flings the snake off, and the snake lands on my other daughter. 
And then she's freaking out. And I can just imagine this poor snake thinking, what in the world is going on? These people are all so much bigger than me. Why are they scared of me? And so, so I, I did finally, we picked it up, we took it outside. It's in the wood pile now, hopefully hibernated. Probably dead after that. Uh, you know, after all of that, trying to keep this thing alive, it is probably now dead. But I thought of the greatest, and, and this is nothing about Brooke. Okay, sorry, Brooke. You just make for great examples. How often we do that with the Lord. We run from him, we pull back from him, hold on to me, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, while the whole time we're pulling away. Right? And then we wonder where he is. See, he didn't let go. Just like Brian didn't let go. Brian literally would have ripped his head off. (laughs) It's that we pull away. So... When we seek Jesus Christ in intimacy, we talk about that, that word intimacy a lot. And, and I know, I know it, it, it's hard to grasp what that means. We're talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we talk about that personal, close, tied relationship with Jesus Christ, it's us that pull away from Him when we see that begin to lack. When we see that begin to fray on the edges, it's us that pull away. It's never him. And yet, the whole time, we think, where have you gone? Right? Just like in fear when you pull away from something that he wants you to be a part of or wants you to do, in fear we pull away and we miss the very blessing that he has for us. We miss the very protection. As Brooke pulled her hand away, she missed the protection that Brian was giving her, even though it had no teeth. Right? We do that with God. We pull away, and then we miss the very protection that he offers us, right? And this isn't even my lesson, so that one was just for free. Yeah, for free. But I just thought, what a, perfect, what a perfect example of what we do with God. How we just pull away and then we wonder why in the world we have no protection. So last week we began a new series. And we talked about the idea of heaven. And, and it was interesting, we watched a video about the little kids' reaction of heaven. And, and all of us have gone through this. You know, when, I, when I say, what do you describe heaven to me? You know, 999 people out of a 1,000 are going to say very little because they're not going to truly understand what heaven's all about. And then those who do say something about it, it's, well, you know, we're, we're, it's just paradise. Okay, what's that? You know, I mean, if we're going to be there for eternity, if we know Jesus Christ and have asked Him into our heart as Savior, we are guaranteed heaven by being sealed by the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We ought to know what it's going to be like. And, and the reason why I think we need to know this is because this time we have on earth plays into what happens in heaven. And that's what we're getting into. Last week we talked about there are two judgments. Okay, and I'm not talking about, I know, I know there's a, a, nation, a nation judgment, the goat judgment. That's a nation's Judgment, But there are two judgments for people. One is the Bema Seat of Christ, which is those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. After the rapture, when we are with Him, we are, we are judged according to what we had done, but with the idea of rewards. Not judgment. Not punishment. But it's like the idea of running a race. If you run a race and you win, you get... A reward. You get a medal in the Olympics, right? It's with that idea. The other judgment is for those who never accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts, and that's something called the Great White Throne Judgment. That is where the Father, God Himself, the Ancient of Days, judges those who did not accept Jesus Christ into their hearts. 
they are also judged by their own words. They're judged by what they did. But they're applied then to God's law. And all found guilty. Just as you and I, accepting Jesus Christ, were found guilty. But when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He becomes our righteousness. He is our righteousness for us. Okay, but those at the great white throne judgment, they then are judged according to what they did, and then their eternity is hell, is what's called the lake of fire in the Bible. Okay, and we talked about that last week. But what I want, for the purpose of this, of this uh, series, it's focusing on that Bema seat. Focusing on what does it mean when we go through the Bema seat and then eternity after that. And, and I want you to understand something. There is a hierarchy in heaven. And most people, certainly preachers, don't preach about this sort of thing. Because it's not a popular thing. But there is a hierarchy in heaven. Don't believe me. Believe the Word of God. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. And by the way, as you're turning there, let me give you just a, a quick synopsis of, of how eternity lays out, if you will, in, in very generic terms. Okay, we're in something called the church age right now. Right? At some point, that church age ends. We believe that to be soon. We are in the final days. We know that. and I won't rabbit trail down that. But, but we're in the church age. At some point, Jesus Christ, He does not return to earth. He meets us in the clouds. He meets His bride in the clouds. The church, those who have accepted Him into their hearts, He meets in the cloud. That's what, that's what uh, is called the harpazo. That, that's the, the rapture. We call it the rapture. Okay, where, where He comes and takes his, his children to be with Him. As that is happening, we're up with Him in heaven. As that's happening, the world then goes through something very different. It goes through something called the tribulation. It goes through a judgment series of the earth against how they treat Israel. And it's very important to understand that Israel is not the focus of the judgment. It is God's focus in the tribulation. Israel is saved through that. Israel is protected through that. It is judgment of the world and how the world dealt with God's chosen people. That's what the tribulation is. Now at the end of that tribulation period, then Jesus Christ comes back to earth as king. He comes with all of us, his bride. He comes with all of the angels. He comes down as this great, massive move, if you will, to come and claim the throne that he never claimed when he was on earth before. Recognize Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who did not, who is God himself, still chose to become a man. He did not lose his humanhood or his manhood when he rose from the grave. He is a man still sitting at the right hand of the Father. And the reason for that is because when He comes again, He has to lay claim to the throne that has been given Him, and that's David's throne. And that's what the whole next period has to do with. Because after Jesus Christ comes down and does that, Satan and the rest of his cohorts are bound up for a thousand years in the bottomless pit in what we think of now is hell. Okay? It's called the abyss. Okay? He's bound up, but for a thousand years, Jesus Christ reigns as king. Now for us, when we think of heaven, when we think of eternity, there are really three types of eternity for those of us who are around right now. We have first, after after we either die or are raptured, we have that eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven, in what the Bible calls the third heaven. It's where the throne of God is. But then you have this period of time of a thousand years where we're with Jesus Christ. We come with Him in victory and we reign with Him 
on the earth for a thousand years. He reigns as the king, taking David's throne, a physical king, on this earth for a thousand years. That, that's the second part of eternity for us. And then when that is done, Satan is loosed for a time, the Bible says in Revelation, and he is allowed once again to deceive nations. He does, and then there's this, this final, it, it's not even a battle. I mean, what happens is, Satan gets all of his cohorts and all the people he's deceived, he gets them all together to come and descend upon Jerusalem, and then in a blink of an eye, fire falls from heaven and destroys every single one. And then all of those who were deceived by Satan, all of those you know who, who had been dead before in what we think of as hell right now, Okay, all those who denied Jesus Christ as Savior then come before Him, or come before the Father in the great white throne judgment. Then when that is done, then you have what I call the final eternity. Okay? So there's really three stages to our eternity when we think about it. And, and I want to look at some of those because what we think of as paradise is a little bit different then what the Bible says. You know, we're not all going to be floating around just singing holy, holy, holy. He's got four angels that does that all the time. You know, and not to get ahead of myself, but if you look at even the original creation of man, Adam and Eve, when they were put in the garden, that gives you the best depiction of what he is going to expect of us even in the far eternity, even in that third stage. It was paradise. But they didn't float around just feeling good about life. Adam had responsibilities. In, in fact, not only did he name all the animals, but he tended the garden. Right There, there, was, there was work. You know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but, but most people nowadays are not happy unless they're doing something productive. Right? If you're doing something productive with your life, whether it be through, through work or through you know, some sort of community service or whatever, it makes you uh, feel better about yourself. That's something inbred in us. That's something innate in all humans. And there's a reason for that. We were built for that. Right? So, so again, this, this, uh, I want to point one, one other thing out before we go uh, to Matthew 11 here. Um, when you think of that second phase of eternity, that thousand-year reign of Christ, I don't know about you, I've been saved 43 years, and I always kind of lumped them all together. I mean, I knew they were separate and all that, but in terms of my involvement, in terms of what it would seem like, I, I didn't really grasp what that meant. But understand that that thousand-year period is here on earth. It's the very earth we're in right now. Not after the new heavens and new earth are created, because that happens after the great white throne judgment. So we are on this earth right now. There are nations just like you have right now. The difference is, a ruler comes in that rules God. He is, he is ruling as an earthly king, but is God. And that's Jesus Christ. Okay? So in the, even these three phases, or I'll even say the two phases, the last two, because the first phase is really about that Bema seat. Okay? It's about that award ceremony, if you will. Okay? And, and those, those rewards are eternal rewards. So they'll be applied to that second and third phase of eternity. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, and, and I, I get back to what we had said, um, that there is a hierarchy in heaven and in eternity that we need to understand. Verse 11 says this, Truly I say unto you, and he's talking here about John the Baptist, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the best human being, Jesus Christ says, that ever was. He's the best. Of all of us, billions and billions and billions over time, 
of human beings, John's the best. How, how, what an awesome thing for God to say about you, right? But it's the next statement that is interesting. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, I want you to understand two things here. One, there is none on earth greater than the least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, the kingdom of heaven of those who have gone on before John, of those who who believed in the coming Messiah before John. Remember, Jesus Christ had not died yet. Okay, so as good as he was, he wasn't as good as the worst in heaven. Now, part of that is because even as good as we can be, we're sinful flesh. Every one of us is born into sinful flesh. And we can never get beyond that until we die and go to heaven. We're given a glorified body. Okay, so, so the least. But then the, the other point I want you to understand here is that that word least. That word least gives the first indication that there is a hierarchy in heaven. If there is a least then there is a most and everything in between. Now, we don't need to read into that too much, but I want you to understand that there is a hierarchy in heaven. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. We've spent some time here. And no, we're not going to verse 9. Don't worry about that. Although if you want to, you just go right ahead. Revelation 3, verse 11 says this. This is Jesus Christ saying this because these are the letters that Jesus Christ penned himself. They're his words given through John to the seven churches at that time. And he says this, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And and again, by the way, that, that new heaven, new earth, the new Jerusalem is after the great white throne judgment. But I want you to notice here, First, he says in in verse 11, hold fast to what you have so no one will seize your crown. That gives an indication that it's possible to lose something that you have. Crowns are something that were not given at salvation or given at birth. These crowns are something that you earn. There are five crowns in the Word of God. And you can earn those. Okay, for instance, there's a crown for somebody who is a martyr. You don't just get that crown because he wants to give you a crown. You get that crown when you are killed in the name of Jesus Christ. That is a martyr's crown, right? And, and so, so he's saying here, be careful because you can lose what you have earned. He's talking to the churches here. He's not talking about salvation. We know that you cannot earn salvation. We cannot, you cannot earn the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and saved you, if you've accepted Him, from hell. You don't earn that. That's 100% grace. All you can do is accept that. It's that next part of our lives that we've talked about so many times, that word that, I don't like the word, but sanctification... It's, it's from the moment we're saved until the moment we breathe our last breath. How we deal with our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's called sanctification. That is where you earn those crowns. That's where we're going to see in the future you earn these rewards that Jesus Christ has for you. Okay, these rewards are not given out on earth. It's not that we are earning something that we apply here. Uh, that wouldn't work for a martyr's crown, would it? <laughs> I died. Oh, I got to come back so I can enjoy my crown. No. 
See, the crowns and the rewards are things that we earn in this life, but are applied to the next. They're given out at the beam of seat of Christ. And what he's saying here is, be careful, church. Be careful, because if you don't watch what you're doing, you can lose the very reward that you're earning. I want to point one other thing out here, too. In verse 12, it says... To the one who conquers, it doesn't say to everybody, but to the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in my temple. Now, that intrigued me, because again, man, you're talking about a lot of people in history, right? But to the one who conquers, I will make you a pillar in my temple. What does that mean? If you think of eternal in a, eternity in a physical sense, which it will be, then you have to understand what that's talking about. First of all, that word pillar there means support. That's, that's the essence of what a pillar means. It doesn't mean foundation. Jesus Christ is the foundation. But we'll see a little later that upon building upon that foundation, we build here on earth when we tell people about Jesus Christ. We don't go and we don't change the foundation. We don't change the gospel. We can't. But we build upon that gospel with the testimony of our own lives. How we testify about Him. So if we conquer here, if we trust Him here, and and by the way, the important thing is drawing to Him in relationship. It's not about doing. I want to point that out right from the get-go. It's not about the fact, okay, to the one who conquers... Okay, I need to be a pastor. I need to go out. I need to do soul winning. I need to give my tithes and offerings. I need to this. I need to this. I need to this. So I can conquer. See, it's not that. Be careful. Because it is not about what you do in your own flesh, in your own desire, in your own choices. God makes it so much simpler than that. He said, seek me. Right? Matthew 6.33. Seek me. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about what you have to do. Seek me and let me do it through you. So these, these works or these, these um, crowns that we get, these, these uh, rewards that we get, they're not because of what we do. They're because of what we let Christ do through us. That's why everybody has the same opportunity. To the person who, you know, I've been, I've been in remote Africa. Okay, to the person who is in a little village who doesn't know anybody, who may their entire life not have more than a few hundred people that they have contact with. They have the same opportunity that you and I do living here for Jesus Christ. The same opportunity for these rewards. Certainly the same opportunity for salvation. Why? It's because it's about Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship with Him. It's about drawing close to Him. It's about letting Him work in you. The fruit is produced when He works in you. So really, the rewards are about obedience. Just saying, yes, Lord, do it through me. Whatever you want. I just give you the platform of who I am to mold and do with whatever you want. So he takes what we do with our lives and he weighs it and measures it at the beam of seat of Christ. You can imagine when we're up there with him and we're in this reward ceremony, he takes everything that we do and he weighs and measures it. And it's tested and tried by fire to see if it was good or not. Let's get into that for a minute. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now understand, this is not a metaphor. This is something that's going to really happen. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, one day you will stand before the beam of seat of Christ. You will stand, think, think of it in terms of this. You know, when you, when, you see, when you see a running contest or the Olympics or something like that, you see that podium. 
where somebody comes up and, and they're awarded something for what they did. Picture it in terms of that. But each of us, each of us, the Bible says, will stand before this Bema Seat of Christ. Okay, and, and let's, let's start at, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 3. Let's start at verse 11. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, this is Paul who's talking this, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Okay, remember, the foundation cannot be changed. Paul, in this Corinthian church, he went there and he laid a foundation with them. He said, Jesus Christ came as the Son of God, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, died for you and died for me, rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father. That was the foundation that Paul laid at this Corinthian church. And he said that you will build upon that foundation that I laid, but take care, the end of verse 10, take care how you build upon it. Verse 11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. The Gospel is the foundation. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. What that did is that gives you two different types of effort. Two different categories of and we're going to see here in a second how they're divided. Each one, verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. It will appear, it will, as you're before the, the Bema Seat of Christ, each of these works will appear before you. Now, I don't know if he has just a huge big screen TV <laughs> that we watch some video or, or if this is something he's doing and just showing you or if he shows everybody. I don't know. The Bible really doesn't say. But either way, you're going to see it. He will make manifest, the Bible says here, each one's work for the day. You notice the word day. The D is capitalized. It's not talking about daytime. It is talking about a specific day. And it is that day where He reveals your works. It is the day of the Bema Seat judgment. Okay, and I, I don't even like the word judgment. Uh, I, I wish I could think of a better word. It's really more like a contest, except it's, we're not in a contest against each other. It's kind of a contest within ourselves. Okay? But that's the day that it's talking about. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So, so what God does is He takes all our works and they're going to be categorized as gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. And He takes all of them and He throws them into this fire. Right? That's how He tests the works. Now, obviously, that's, that's metaphoric. What He's doing is He's testing those works against His own will, against what He wanted done in your life. Remember, we talked about Psalm 139, how there was a book written about each one of us before we were ever even conceived. And in that book is what His will was for our life. At the Bema Seat of Christ, those books are going to be opened. And He's going to take all the works that we did, all the ways that we lived our life, all the ways that we drew in relationship to Jesus Christ, He's going to take all that and compare it to the books. Because the books is the fire. That is His will for your life. And He's going to test it against that. Verse 14, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But it doesn't finish there. Verse 15, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
Don't think there's no loss in heaven. Don't be deceived that once I'm saved, once I've accepted Jesus Christ, I can live my life however I want. That is true in one aspect. You are guaranteed heaven. Praise God. And the least in heaven is greater than the best that the earth has to offer. So, so, so please understand the difference between judgment and reward. Okay? This is not a judgment that, oh man, now heaven's going to stink, dude. It's going to really rot. Right? I, I've lived my life like this and now I don't even want to go. Please, please don't jump off that cliff. That's not what I'm talking about. Because the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the best the earth ever had to offer. So when Jesus Christ says it's paradise, it's paradise. I mean, how about the thief on the cross where Jesus Christ lived his whole life as a thief? Lived his whole life caring about himself and nothing else. And yet at the very last moment, He believed who Jesus Christ was. And He said, take me with you. What did Jesus say? You betcha. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So understand that the very least of it is still the best that we could imagine. But what I want you to understand is there's more. There's so much more that He wants you to understand, that He wants you to go after. And we can only do it in this life. Because it has to be done by faith. And see, once we're done with this life, it's not faith anymore. Because we will be with Him. We will see Him face to face. So in this life we have faith. I want you to turn to 2 John. 2 John chapter 1. And this goes along the the same lines of 1 Corinthians 3. 2 John chapter 1, let's start at verse uh, 8. No, let's let's start at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And by the way, not the antichrist, which we still will see. There are many, many antichrists. Those, those who do not confess the coming of the son or coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Those who preach that, those who preach against the gospel, are considered an antichrist. Verse eight: Watch yourselves, so, so that you may not lose. What we worked hard for, or what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. He said here, be careful of what you believe. Be careful of who you listen to. Be careful of who you allow to influence you. Why? Because they can lead you into deception. That's what an antichrist does. They lead you into a deception and you can lose what you have gained already. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about Works. It's talking about rewards. When we go after Jesus Christ in relationship and we draw close to Him and, and, and He begins to produce fruit in us. Remember, it talks about how He is the vine, we are the branch. Okay? When we cling to the branch, He then produces the fruit in us. It's not us that produce the fruit. He produces it. So as he does this, be careful what you take in. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful the logic that you take in. You know, that, that that makes sense. You better consider the source. You better be careful because there's a lot at stake. Your salvation isn't at stake. 
you will go to heaven, you will be saved. You will see Jesus Christ if you've accepted Him into your heart. But you will lose reward. And by the way, that's a huge cost. Because you don't just lose it for a month. You don't just lose it for a year. You lose it for eternity. It says rewards are eternal. You know, I I, I used an illustration one time I saw from... um, uh, yeah, Francis Chan. I, I keep thinking Jackie Chan, but <laughs> wrong, wrong guy. Yeah, for Francis Chan, and and you, most of you have seen this, where where uh, you know I had this long, long rope, this white rope, and and I think at the time I, I had this rope and I had it running out there to where you couldn't see the end of it. That is our lives with eternity. Okay, that is eternity with us. That's what that rope represents. Never ends. And then I had the first inch of it colored red. And I said, this is your life. This is your life here on earth. This is the whatever years that God allows you on earth. Just this little one inch out of an eternal rope. And what we do is we focus on this one inch. We make investments in our life to make this one inch better. See, I, I, I want it to be better on this earth. So I, I go to school. I, I, I want to get a good career, a good high-paying job. I want to get a family. I want to get this. I want to get that. I, I, I've got to get my Jeep. Dude, those new Wranglers, got to get one. Right? Because it's going to make my life. Now, by the way, that would make my life better. No, I'm kidding. But that's what we do. We want to make this life better. We go through trials in this life and all that matters to us is making it better here. That's such a myopic look at life. See, you have to look at life at that eternity. If you really understood what investment in that one inch makes in the rest of eternity of that rope, it'd be a no contest in your mind. It'd be no contest. If I could invest, let, let's say God gives me 80 years here, whatever He does. Let's say He gives me 100 years here. If I invest that 100 years in seeking Him intimately, in relationship with Him, in letting Him work through me to do His will, to produce His fruit, I am literally making an investment into eternity. Now, I don't know about you, any, anybody in here, especially college students that, that are, uh, you know, like finance majors and stuff, okay, that ought to click with you pretty quick that that's a good investment. <laughs> Something that you invest for a hundred years that lasts for billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of years. Pretty good investment, right? So why don't we see it that way? It's because we don't understand eternity. It's because we don't understand what heaven is going to be like. And that's what Jesus wants to show us. And I, want, I, 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 again, want to show you the idea that we can suffer loss. I want you to turn. We're going to turn one more place here. And I, I won't get near as far as I wanted to. But Matthew 25. I have to get through this because I didn't get through this last week. And so I can't brush it off again. But Matthew 25, and, and really the, the, the last third of Matthew is it, it, just so profound. Jesus Christ does so many parables that are prophetic parables. And, and how they apply to the church and how they apply to the Christian, but it's what happens later on. And this is an example of that. And, and we might, as, as we get into this series, we might go through some more of those. But this one is, is really quite amazing. We're going to start at verse 14. This is the parable of the talents. Now, by the way, a talent back then, it's, it's, a, it's a, a piece of money. Okay, So think of this as parable of the dollars, if you will. Okay, Parable of the money. Not, not talents like we have a talent to do something. Parable of the talents. Verse 14. For it will be like a man, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. Okay? This is what this parable is talking about, is the afterlife. Okay? 
You could consider that during the thousand year reign, but then also for eternity. But for now, let's specifically talk about the even the thousand year reign. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now I want you to understand something right off the bat. First of all, the word servant there is the same word in the Greek as bond slave. It's the same word that Jesus Christ, or that Paul uses to, to say who we are in Jesus Christ. Okay, we are his bond slave. We, we are purchased by his blood. Okay, but it also says from, from the master who are called his servants. Now, I say this right up front because this one is, is just misunderstood by the church so much. Because they look at this and say, well, this is really talking about the difference between someone who's saved and someone who's not saved. That's why at the end somebody has loss. They, they end up going to hell. That's not at all what this is talking about. Why? Because they are all his servants. They are all, and by the way, all of the parables, and we'll get into some of those uh, a little bit later, but, but they are, they are all said to his followers, to his, his believers, those who believe in Jesus Christ. These are saved people. All four of these servants are saved. Or three, sorry. Verse 15, to the one, one, one servant, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. Each according to his ability. Then he went away. I point out one other thing, and I, I know I'm not going to get through this, but I'm, if I keep pointing stuff out. But let me point something else out that I said earlier. Everybody has the same opportunity. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter where you were born in life, what status you were born, or what, what was placed around you. It doesn't matter for the purpose of growing what God gives you. And that's what it says here. To each according to his ability. The master saw the ability of the individual, gave him and entrusted him with something according to his ability. Then he went away. Verse 16. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. He invested that money wisely, and he created, he doubled his, his money. He made five more. Verse 17. So also he who had had the two talents made two talents more. Now, understood, that, that's an important point. One was given five, he made ten. One was given two, he made four. They both doubled it. Okay? It's important to understand that. Verse 18, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master, of your master. Now, I, I want you to picture something as we're going through this. This is not some story time that Jesus is telling the disciples. Okay? He is giving a picture of the Bema Seat of Christ. He is giving a picture of what it's going to look like in that first eternity I was talking about. When we are taken up to be with Him and we go before Him at the Bema Seat to receive our reward. That's what this is talking about. The time that, that you know, figure it this way, that the Master gave these talents to these people, okay, that was at the point you could compare today when we accepted Jesus Christ into our heart. When we accepted Him into our heart, we were given things, we were given abilities, we were given talents, we were given, given whatever He wants to use, we were given that, we were given gifts. Right? And we're expected to use those, be wise with those for Him. And then at some point, that 
is all going to be called and say, okay, what did you do? And it's placed before him. And he said, good and, well done, good and faithful servant. This is a picture of the Bema Seat of Christ. Verse 22, And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Notice there is no difference. No difference at this point between the one who did two and the one who did five. Or who received five. It's because it was based on what He was given. Just like for each of us, we have been given different things. So the contest is not with each other. The contest is with ourselves. The contest is with that book that was written about our lives, what God's will for our lives is. So we're not competitive with each other here. We can all receive the same reward. Verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. You can imagine how fearful he was. Because, see, he knew his master expected more than that. And see, in his mind, I can only imagine him thinking, the only thing worse than not getting something for you in investment is losing the very investment you gave me. Let me just hide it. See, out of fear, we hide what God wants to do in our lives. He's given each of you talents. And in fear, you hide that instead of give it to Him and let Him do what He wants with it. That's a reaction to fear. What if I fail? What if I fail and lose the very investment God gave me? See, that's where this guy's motivation was. Was fear. Verse 26, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have sown not and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. See, what he's saying is, you could have at the very least done something safe with what I gave you. But yet your reaction was fear. That very fear crippled what you could have done. There was something you could have done that the fear should have had nothing to do with. But see see how sometimes fear blocks what we can see? You know, I mean, it, it makes sense. See, we have investments today that are guaranteed investments, right? You have T-bills, you have an interest rate at the bank or whatever. And I mean, as guaranteed as something could be. You know, if, if you know for sure, well, you know, I don't want to risk this amount of money, I can, I, but I want it to earn some interest, you could put it in a, a guaranteed thing. That's what he's saying there. Why didn't you at least do that? See, He recognized, the master recognized the slothfulness in the servant. Does he recognize that in us? See, because sometimes it's just too much trouble to invest. Maybe it was too much trouble for him to just go to the bank and put it in there. Maybe it was easier for him to bury it. How's that work in our own lives? Sometimes God gives us gifts, and and you know what? Gifts are tough. They're tough because there's expectation of those gifts. Just like he had expectation of this. He said, said, you knew I was a tough master. You knew I had expectation of what I give you. 
Now, this is not talking about the supreme gift that he gave, which is salvation. That will never be taken away. That's not what he's talking about here. He said, you became my servant. You became my bond slave by accepting my salvation. Here, here are gifts because I have a plan for your life that I wrote down in your book and you're going to need these gifts to accomplish it. So often... We recognize those gifts and we suppress them down. We go and bury them. Because what if I get it wrong? What if I do it wrong? I get laughed at. Or worse, maybe maybe I'll do it wrong and then you'll be mad at me, Lord. And see, what he's saying is, you've got to take what I give you and you've got to invest it. Don't worry, I'll teach you. I'll teach you, the Lord says, how to invest it, how to work it, how to use your talents. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and we will have and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's an important concept there. Do you do you understand to the one who who gave everything in their life to their master and who was given the talents to to produce the fruit that he wanted. He took what was discarded and gave it to them. Why? Because he knew that there would be wise investment. See, when you have wise investment in your life, when you invest your talents for the Lord, when you draw to Him in relationship and just say, Lord, you take over, you do it, because I can't, but I trust you. When you do that, you build this track record of investing and the Lord being pleased. So this is an example of, He says, you know what, I'm getting what I need out of this person. Let's feed him more. Let's get him more. Let's, he trusts me. This person trusts me. So let me take this that isn't working over here. Let me take this from this person and put it over here. Why? Because it needs to be invested. It has to be invested. To reach God's plan to do His will, it has to be invested. So if you don't spend your life investing what He has given you, it will be given to somebody else who does. And that's an important concept to understand. Because, see, we don't just have forever to decide to live for Jesus Christ. We have right now. And we've got to give Him our yes right now. Verse 30. And this is the most misunderstood part of this. And I'll finish with this. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is where most people, first of all, that phrase, cast in the outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, is four times in the Word of God, all in the parables. And and what what so many pastors, theologians say is, well, that's talking about hell. That one servant was the one who just didn't give his life to the Lord, didn't accept him as Savior, so he was cast into hell. And see, that, that's what I grew up believing. That the churches I grew up in, that, that's what they taught. And, and it's easy to think that way. It's, it's really simple. It makes everything simple. All you have to do is accept Jesus Christ in your heart, and then you're good. Do whatever you need. You know, you're good after that. But see, to truly understand what Jesus is teaching here in this parable opens up a whole new world of responsibility in relationship to Him on this earth. See, what it says here, where it says that worthless servant didn't change the fact that he was a servant. Still the same word. Still bond slave. 
Still the same servant that was purchased. But throw that worthless servant, and that, that word worthless there is a discarded. That, that's, that's one who did not produce. Okay? Not, don't think of worthless, worthless like, well, Jesus hates me. It's not that. It's, it's like cast that non-productive servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where in the world is the outer darkness if it's not hell? Well, in heaven there's just light. There is no darkness. So that has to be talking about hell. And, and again, that, that's what I thought. But you have to look at the original language. In the Greek, that word darkness is skodos. And what it means is not darkness. It means less light. There is a significant difference. It literally means less light. Cast that servant. Now keep in mind what's happening here. This is eternity. This is at the Bema Seat of Christ. We're about to go into the thousand year reign of Christ. And he says, cast that non-productive servant away from the light. There will be, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is another thing that we kind of think of like, you know, you picture anger or, you know, just this unimaginable pain. That's why we associate it with hell. But you ever grit your teeth when you're sorrowful? Oh. One of those? I wish I, I wish I would have done differently. I had opportunity and I wish I would have done it differently. Well, it can't be weeping because, you know, God wipes away all our tears in heaven. Okay, no. Read your Bible. That doesn't happen until after the great white throne judgment. There will be weeping in the thousand year reign. There will be weeping in that first eternity that I talk about when, when we have this behemothy. I think we ourselves will weep in understanding what could have been. What we could have done if we would have just done it and understood. So we'll get into this more next week, but, but as we go through this behemoth seat of Christ, it sets up this thousand year reign. And understand that in this thousand year reign, there is going to be a difference of those servants. There will be some made to be pillars in his temple. Supports of his temple. And then there will be some that are sent away from his light. Says Jesus Christ will be the light in that time. So I'll, I'll leave that with you to think about a little bit. And we'll get into that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you for who you are.